Simple Suttas, a podcast on original Buddhism. Visit us at simplesuttas.wordpress.com. Why do we do? Why do we do what we do? What's the point? Yeah, right. Well, you know, I think this is actually where the idea of future and past lives uh, is important. Because on the one hand, if this life is it, if that's if it's the only thing, then uh, and if we're looking at things from a purely selfish perspective, then there probably is no point, right? If those two things are true, if 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 what matters is my own happiness and what matter and and this is the only life, then Buddhist practice uh, becomes at at best uh, a version of self help. Yeah? And so why why would you practice? You would practice. A, for the benefit of other people. If you really believed that, uh, uh, you know, learning wisdom, learning compassion, learning uh, uh, caring for other people mattered, and that developing your own mind was good for other people, and that really mattered to you, then that's, that's one reason to do the practice. And in a, in, a, in a different kind of way, you are benefiting um, yourself in the future by doing the practice. And if that continues into the indefinite future, then it goes beyond just... Um, uh, a version of caring and compassion and into a version of the only thing that makes logical sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think if you really do think that, you know, I die and that's it, and everyone else dies and that's it, then the, the, the practice becomes Ill, uh, illogical, <laughs> right? But with, with those two things in mind, then it becomes the only thing that, that, that makes any sense. All that said, that's not the reason we practice. Mm-hmm. The reason we practice is because we have some little instinct in our hearts that there was something to it. You know, exactly like when the when the Buddha, you know, had stopped doing austerities and he just had some little instinct that doing uh, jhana practice was was the way to, to to liberation. We just had some little instinct in our heart that you know what, there's something to that, and we started doing it and we found there was something to it, and we kept doing it. The more we practiced, the more we felt like, yeah. But it is not, uh, the, the real reason we do it isn't logical. The real reason to do it is that there's some catch in our heart that makes it feel like this is the right thing to be doing. Cool. I don't know, do you, do you, do you find the same thing? Yeah, more or less. More or I less. Mean, <laughs> I don't know. I came, in, uh, I came in from an extreme angle, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Hair was on fire pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> and you got a lot of hair to burn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so, you know, it was, um, I was like willing to try absolutely anything. Um, you know, uh, a big part of uh, the Northern Buddhism is taking this thing called the Bodhisattva vow. Oh, sure. Right, that you're going to exist for all beings till as long as time and space exist. And I was like, fine, if this is going to help me, do that. <laughs> like, you know. Um, and so, I mean, the reason I practiced is because a uh, combination of uh, just like things were so painful at that time. And then, but then also wanting to be uh, a benefit to others. Hmm. Um, I felt that <laughs> I was miserable and um, I basically didn't even care enough to try and do anything to improve my own life. <laughs> um, but when I looked at other people in my life and I saw that maybe I could be of benefit to them, um, then uh, just as there was a period in my violin practice where 
I didn't really care about being better anymore. Hmm. Um, it just didn't make any sense. Um, there didn't seem to be any particular end goal. Um, and But I thought, well, I've done a whole lot of stuff wrong that I'm now doing right. And maybe if I kept studying and I really, really understood some of this stuff better, hmm. I could save some other people some problems down the road. And um, for me, that became a big uh, impetus to my practice. Uh, yeah. Very good. Uh, let's see. Oh, okay. So I talk a lot about how uh, my life has changed from my practice. How, what's, what's been, what have you seen in your life that's changed? How has how's your life changed? Yeah, not, nothing uh, uh, nearly so dramatic. And, and in all honesty, I think if you, uh, if you were looking on the outside, uh, you, you wouldn't see as, as much of a difference. Uh, in, in my life, it's it's been a, a straight, a straight, uh, straight line in a lot of ways. It's uh, all of it's been for me internal, you know that I I can see how my mind works now versus the way my mind worked then, uh, the, you know particularly you know uh, feelings of anxiety and worry and and, and pointlessness and uh, it, it's the it's those things that have been addressed in a really beautiful way. Yeah. So, some of them in, in a really practical way, like sure. you know, ha, ha, in, enduring pain or uh, you know, um, ha, having a purpose in life. Some of them uh, more kind of uh, you know, ephemeral and, and beautiful. And I think to the to the extent that obvious things that have changed are just uh, you know, a, a renewed emphasis on. Morality and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, uh, but but less external. Okay. Uh, do you have a favorite student? Oh man, no, I don't. I mean, I think it was just the the, the one we just did. You know, is this week because yeah, I, yeah. I just read it and loved it and enjoyed it, talking about it. But uh, uh, you know, this is not. Uh, maybe uh, there are a handful of passages from the from the Dhammapada just being very mm-hmm. you know inspiring and beautiful yeah. hatred never ending through hatred those kinds of things yeah. and then in terms of practice uh, probably uh, the uh, mindfulness of breathing sutta because there's just a, kind of a few key points in there that just made such a difference for me in my in my sitting that uh, I, I I find that one very precious it's also the one that I find is like the most explicit. What, what do you do and what's supposed to happen yeah. when you sit on the cushion yeah. that I find it really useful every day. Cool. Yeah, those two. <laughs> All right, what was I going to I had at least one other thing. Oh, yeah, just the uh, general stuff. How long you been practicing? How did you end up uh, doing what you do now? You know? Uh, in terms of practice? Yeah, in terms of practice and you know, podcasts about Buddhism. I mean, obviously, <laughs> something spoke to you that you thought that was important enough to yeah. you know, blog. and. I was fascinated stuff. with meditation, but as practiced in, in college, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been brought up a, a strong Christian and kind of lost my faith as a teenager. And But then I didn't have, a, uh, you know, once I learned about Buddhism and learned about meditation, I didn't have a teacher. There wasn't a community. And the, the that kind of interest sort of evaporated because there was just nothing to lock onto. And uh, so went went to graduate school and and kind of uh, you know was was so immersed in music and, and those kinds of things that it, you know that it was um, after I moved here I had this I, I'd gotten married and we went to China and we went to a, a this Buddhist uh, temple in uh, outside of Hanzhou 
And uh, it's a very strange temple, it, but it was really a, a tourist trap. <laughs> mm-hmm. But for some reason, it just spoke to me like, oh, yeah, and all, all those feelings that I had in college of, of like, this is something I want to do, this is something I... Uh, suddenly, I, I, when, we, when I got married, I, I tried going back to church just to see what it was like and uh, found it to be very nice and very, you know, wonderful people, but I just didn't believe it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so then I, uh, when I got back, I found a meditation group and I started doing it read some, you know, uh, popular meditation books and, and, and tried to do that. And I really felt like there was something there. But as I said, for years, I just kind of struggled with it in a way that was more painful than helpful. Yeah. And that it was, it really was when I started reading some of the, the, the teachers that uh, directly referenced the suttas mm-hmm. that, that was a big turn in, in my practice. Uh, Ajahn Brahm was kind of probably the first... And it was just like, you know, that, that, that metaphor of scales falling from your eyes. And so it, uh, it was actually, I was, I was back in China for another time when I started reading some of his stuff and uh, trying to find, you know, online copies of the suttas and finding these very strange translations. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got back, I is bought... Is PTS? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. PTS is like, it's, it's like, reads like the King James Bible, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I got back and bought a copy of uh, a Samyutta Nikaya and tried to read it cover to cover. And it was, I, it was just like, <laughs> in, in the trouble. Yeah, I had I'm no sure. idea what I was reading. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but all of that, you know, I, I had to really fight my way, learning a little poly, finding different translations, listening to classes on, on it. It was the it was the most valuable, the most wonderful uh, part of my my practice, other than my own, you know, other than meditation, and it helped me so much that after some years of doing that, I I uh, I started feeling more and more like, what what can I give to the Buddhist community. Mm-hmm. So I started doing things. I was on the board of my local meditation center. Mm-hmm. I, of course, you know, give to the monks in the area and, and, and do these kinds of things. And I just thought, if I could make it a little bit easier for yeah. people to address the suttas, yeah. not that I would be able to give them the final definitive version, but if I could give them some, some, uh, some simplified uh, plain English, not yeah. not simplified, dumbed down, but plain English, plain English yeah. uh, versions that would be e- you know easy to read. Then that could be a much better entree than page one of some Nikaya. From the, you know, <laughs> uh, so that that was that whole uh, message was just finding some ways to <laughs> to help out. <laughs> so that, and that's all this is too, it, yeah. you know. And so if if people find this useful, you know great and and if they don't then it's, it's, it's okay still nice to have a lovely conversation <laughs> with a dhamma friend <laughs> yeah that's yeah. no, uh if you uh, i'm curious if you spend any time reading uh brahmajala that's that one like just i mean even that's just recently within the last year uh, i had somebody ask me if i could do kind of like a just uh bullet points you know for it and so just going through and studying that it's like well you know the, i remember the first time that i read it um, that was actually the first thing that I read uh, from uh, the Thera- Theravada tradition other than the Visuddhimagga. And uh, I literally, the first time I read that, I could not make heads or tails <laughs> of it. Oh my gosh. It just seemed like complete and utter nonsense. And then, uh, you know, probably within the last year, I went back to it and I went, oh my gosh. Wow. Just. <sighs> Well, that's Close it. That, 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 that's next on the list. Well, all right. Well, all right. Ramajala is, is, oh, is, man, I love that one. <laughs> I mean, it's so dry. Oh, my gosh. It's about as dry as you can get. But no, I mean, you've read them all, haven't you? I mean, you've been through all the DNMNSN, yeah? I, I have, and and, uh, and, and Anguttara Nikaya, now that this is the new uh, Bodhi translation, and then not the uh, 
not the Kudika yet, just yeah. uh, what, what you can gather. I, I, I don't know if Bodhi's going to do a translation of Kudika or not. I think so. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be a gigantic task. Yeah. Uh, even though it's got some of the most wonderful uh, uh, bits and pieces, uh, you know, the... the uh, Sutanapata yeah, exactly. and uh, Dhammapada's in there. Dhammapada, right? yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, some nice translations of Dhammapada. Uh, yeah, the, the, the good thing is that almost every teaching is in all of them. Not quite, yeah. but almost everything you can find in one, uh, one of those collections, you can find in another one. Actually, the only one that seems to be kind of a little bit weird in that way is the Diga. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it seems to be, it's got a lot of great stories and a lot mm-hmm. of big, big tales and then has a, has less of the, the nitty gritty practice stuff than, than yeah. some of them. I don't know. You know, it was interesting. Uh, I was investigating. I remember the first time that I read, uh, that the Buddha said people used to live 80,000 years. I just about <laughs> had an aneurysm. Uh, oh my God, what have I done with my life? Uh, <laughs> but uh, under further research, I'm kind of convinced that um, that idea comes from the idea of the Kali Yuga, which was uh, already extant in uh, Brahmin scriptures that predate Buddhism. Mm. Um, and so that that would be, I mean, even if he said it, that that would be a perfectly normal thing to say that everybody kind of agreed on at the time is that this idea of the, you know, that during these certain ages, because they were discovering astronomy and understanding how, you know, just really vast mm, yeah. the time scales are, and that uh, there's this idea that, you know, we were in a degenerate age and that, you know, people used to live super long and now they, you know, there's going to be a time where they're only five years old and they're bored with a sword in their hands. So, <laughs> you know. um, and I guess that one, um, that was that was a little tricky, but I think, you know, I think it's reasonable. I have a take on that as well. Yeah. So I, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different cultures that have this idea that of, uh, of decline, mm-hmm. you know, for, uh, yeah. uh, well, and, and, you know, things like in the, in the Greek tradition, the idea of the, the, the Titans being killed by the gods and so mm-hmm. on. Well, that's actually directly, it's in, in the same, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my, Suras and the, was it the Suras and the Yakas? Like right. right. My, my, uh, my, my take on it is that it's a, a mythological version of what really happened and what really happened was that, uh, you know, hunter-gatherers were uh, much taller, much stronger, much longer-lived, much healthier, much more beautiful uh, because they ate a you know, variety of foods and they weren't stuck in one place and they had more freedom and, uh, hmm. and so on. And uh, that, like, archaeological records all over the world show that when people adopted agriculture, they immediately were several inches shorter, that they were more likely to get cancer, they were more likely to have cavities, they teeth were, you know, out, teeth, so, yeah. the, the, the whole thing. And uh, so I, I think this is kind of like a mythological version of what was still in kind of the, the consciousness, but, but, you know, not explicitly written down was this idea of the decline of, of, of people. Mm-hmm. I think it also goes with, uh, th- this is maybe outside the context of Buddhism, but <sighs> it goes with uh, quote-unquote culture that people think of culture as being this great thing but often what culture really meant was having uh, kings and emperors that uh, because who would settle down and start a farm unless they were being forced to yeah and who would be able to force people to do that a king with an army yeah why would a king with an army want people on farms uh, because they would raise grains uh, which can be stored, stored, which can be taxed, and which can be used for armies to to go on the on the hoof, mm. and uh, so I, I think it, you know, n- not all of that was included, but I think that's yeah. that's why they have that 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 uh, 
view of the decline of man. Sure. I think it's really true. <laughs> what do you got uh, what do you got on the marks of a great man? What do you think about that? <laughs> I think that is ridiculous. <laughs> I think that is a sentence that uh, e- even I, re- I recall in the, the the Walsh translation in the in the footnotes he's yeah. just like I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> really what are you giving me guys? Come on. <laughs> I think that uh, that for several hundred years or uh, you know one to two hundred years, whatever it was that Buddhism existed in northern India and was going about its business. And then at a certain point, it exploded across India, you know, that, that, yeah. that it was taken, you know, and that became uh, uh, a fashionable mm-hmm. <laughs> and then also kind of the religion of empire. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, that, uh, that a lot of corruption got into uh, Buddhism and that some of that is in the form of uh, the... Um, uh, Abhidhamma, that some Abhidhamma is fine, it's just a, you know, a, just a, a, a more logical rehashing of what's in the suttas, but others of it is kind of this philosophizing, this, this uh, the, and I think what that was, was Brahmin culture, uh, people becoming monks and then trying to philosophically deal with the teachings of the Buddha and kind of getting it wrong. Yeah, I and think I think the marks potential there. Yeah, yeah, I think I mean, part uh, of it was the marks of the man. Where Brahmins going around saying, "Well, you know, you know, how do we know he was a great man? Exactly. <laughs> how do we, we know, know he was that a great man would have these marks?" And then yeah. finally, some some you know Buddhist saying, "Well, actually, he did have them." Oh yeah, no, yeah, he totally, you know, he totally we all yeah. that. We, that was there all along. There. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a slippery slope because once you say, "Well, this sutta is not authentic," and yeah. I think so, then yeah. wants to say any others aren't right. And if I'm going to, you know, sit here and tell you, yes, Asuras are real, yes, Yakas are real, yes, you know, Devas are real, and but I'm going to deny the truth of the marks of the great man. Yeah. But it's self-contradictory. You yeah. can't be 37 feet tall and not be recognized <laughs> in a group of other monks. Right. Yeah. Both of those things cannot happen. Yeah. And so I, I feel pretty comfortable <laughs> with that. Uh, the other way to look at it, of course, is at the mythological level. This sure. the marks of the great man, meaning, you know, in a deep way, how precious we are, how yeah. amazed we are at his accomplishments, and so on. Um, oh, all right. What do you think of uh, Angulimala? Oh, well, um, you know, the, you, you, uh, I mean, I think it's a incredible story of redemption. Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, speaking of dreams, when I was in uh, in college, I, I took a class on Asian religions, and we talked about uh, Kali. And uh, that night, I had a horrible nightmare about yeah. uh, uh, about a, a, a woman I know c- c- coming to my dorm room in the form of Kali and tearing me apart, you know, limb by limb <laughs> with her giant fingernails. And uh, so, I, it, probably Angulimala was a Kali worshiper because yeah. of the, some of the the, the symbolism yeah, of, yeah. The, of the, you know. And uh, uh, so, you know, the, this this idea that no matter how far gone you are, you know. Yeah. Uh, forget being a drunkard. You know, we're talking about a mass murderer. Yeah, you, yeah. even someone like that can uh, can turn their life around, and and uh, so in that way, it's an incredibly inspiring practice. Mm-hmm. And I think we might have talked about once before. It's also you know, it doesn't mean that you don't uh, that that you don't have consequences for your past actions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, it it just becomes vastly less important in the context of liberation. Yeah. Cool. Plus, it's a great story. You know, uh, I led a children's group for for several years, and uh, you know, it's it's one thing to like get into the uh, nitty gritty of Anatta or something mm-hmm. with some kids groups, but man, when you tell them stories like that, <laughs> they can dig it, right? Yeah. That that's the reason why all these uh, animal rebirth stories uh, <laughs> work is because yeah. uh, they're, they're they're fun stories. Yeah. And, 
there's something to that. Yeah. You know, there's something to that. There, there's a time for deep philosophical nitty-gritty, and there's a time for a good tale with a nice yeah. message. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've always thought, like, and it's, you know, maybe it is just a story of my own, but I think to myself sometimes, I'm like, well, you know, I think I probably got a decent hand on the Dhamma. I could probably teach it to somebody, maybe. So, but man, if I'm ever put in the position where I've got a mass murderer, I'm just going to be one more victim on that chain, you know? Like, <laughs> not going to just blast him with your method. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no, I'm going to get cut to pieces. He's going to be like, oh, I don't know what that guy was talking about. It seems kind of interesting, but yeah, sure, it's tasty. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know... Uh, the, the, the Buddha got felled by some, some bad pork, so yeah, you, you never true. know what's going to get you. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I read an academic paper on that. I think I might have told you this at some point, that um, he died from bowel separation. That, uh, yeah, it was really interesting, well-written. It was from a medical viewpoint, and he said that, um, you know, he was already had already had blood in his stool possibly for up to a month at that point, wow. and that probably what happened is that his bowel separated from the stomach lining, um, and that 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 would cause the kind of slow, painful death that it would take. Yeah. I mean, so it just sounds like that there's potential that there was just this miserable, horrible death, um, Yikes. you know, which he endured mindfully. Um, but you, you, you never know with those. They're always coming up with. Uh, oh, sure. Beethoven died of this and Mozart died of that. Right, right, right. I saw something about Picasso's ear the other day. Yeah. Like, eh, it's, it's always, I'll, I'll click on that story. Yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs>